Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. All right. Good morning, 1030. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good. Hey, do me a favor. Before we move on, let's just give it up for everyone watching online this morning for our online campus. Thank you for joining us. And hey, I'm, I'm excited to share, to, to, to kind of speak on what we're going to talk about today. First service, I thought went really well. And um, do me a favor. I really feel, I, I don't normally say this, but I really feel that today's message can really help say, change and kind of shift someone's mentality on what we're going to talk about today and their relationship with Jesus. I feel like it has the potential to do that. So take out your phone right now if you can. Share it on Facebook. You never know who's watching. Come on, y'all got a, a lot of friends who are just hanging out at home in their pajamas. Come on, let's be real. It's Sunday. Share it on Facebook. Share it on YouTube. And today, I, I think God wants to really kind of share some unique and specific perspectives on some things. And so I want us to lock in with what God has to say today. So go ahead and share it. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us. And I'm excited for what we're going to talk about. All right, here we go. We ready? Let's do it. Go ahead and stay on your feet. And we're going to jump right into the passage and go right into the message. Here we go. We'll talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. It says this. It says that you come to him as a living stone. Rejected by men, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Everybody say built up. Built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Come on, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in this house. We just pray that you would continue to speak and we give you the room. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. So I want to kind of change it up a little bit today. And I'm talking a little fast. and I'm trying to get to it because I got a lot to talk about in a little bit of time. And one of the things that I'm excited for in this series, we've been talking about in this series, Sandcastles, God building us, right? We talk about God building us. And so today, I want you to take some notes because we're going to talk about, if you want to title the conversation, we're titling it Living Stones. We're taking that out of the passage of First Peter. And essentially for the last four weeks, five weeks, we've been talking about how God builds us internally. We've been talking about how God works on us internally. But today, I want to talk about how God builds us corporately. And I really want to talk about a particular issue that I think is sensitive for some, but essential to have a conversation about, if that makes sense. And I want to do it like this. Because I've learned that sometimes the best times I've learned and processed and received and kind of grown is just having kind of a dialogue and a conversation format. So the way I'm kind of approaching it today, it's more of not like a preaching and I'm going to yell at you, although sometimes that happens, right, because I'm just loud. I'm not trying to yell at you. I love you. I promise. I'm just loud. Um, But uh, more of like you ever have a a conversation with your friends and you're talking at like till 2 a.m. in the morning on the couch. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so kind of like that. Now, here's the deal. It's not really a conversation, though, because I'm not going to call on you if you raise your hand, so, like, don't be that person. Like, that might be a little awkward, okay? So, again, I love you, but I, I want to kind of slow it down and talk through some things. And the thing that I really want to talk about today is how God calls us to be the church and why church is necessary. 
why church is important. And, and, and as I was praying about this week, I felt like I needed to change what I was originally going to talk about. I had kind of a, a different idea and a different approach, and we are going to break down 1 Peter chapter 2, and I was going to break down the theology of 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and all that stuff. But, but I felt like as I was writing, uh, just God asking me to process and write some things out. And I think the main point of the conversation, the main point of the conversation that if there's anything you get today, get this. And I think this is really what the Holy Spirit wants us to understand and know today. And it's this. Are you taking notes? You guys ready? Yep. You, got your, you got your notebooks, you got your phones, you got your Bibles. Yes. Like four people said amen. Okay, I'm just saying, this, this is a note-taking time of day, all right? Are you, don't worry, there's not going to be a test, you're not going to have homework, but I'm saying you might need to use these points in the future. This is some stuff that I think will really help you. The main theme of the day, the main part of the conversation is this, is you aren't the church, we are the church. And I believe that's what God wants us to really understand today. And here's why I say that. Because I, buy, I bought into the lie when I was younger that I was the church, that it was just me. Let me explain a little bit. Uh, so I tell people I'm a, I'm a recovering church addict. Um, that's kind of the best way to describe it. So I get saved at 12 years old. Um, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up in kids' church. Now, some of that's good because I didn't have to worry about, like, the cringy things. Anybody ever grow up in, like, old school church? You know, you're there till, like, 2 or 3, and then you go to lunch, and then you come back for service at 6. Or I think we've all been to, like, a cringy Christmas choir. Come on. Although we're not going to have a cringy Christmas choir. Let's just be honest. Ours is going to be awesome. <laughs> but, right, like, there's always that one kid who's, like, poking his nose. You might have been the one kid. You know, you ever been to, like, the church barbecue, and it, you know, it, it didn't go the way it's planned. Like, so I didn't, I didn't grow up in church. Like, I, so when I got saved, I was brand new into it. Brand new. And... So I had no preconceived notion or idea of what church be or what church shouldn't be. And I think in a lot of ways that was really good because when I got saved, it wasn't necessarily that I felt the church saved me. I really had an understanding that Jesus rescued my life, right? And so because of that reality of Jesus rescuing my life, I loved church. I loved it. I was 12 years old and I was at church every day, every day. I was at church Monday for a prayer meeting, Tuesday for Bible study, Wednesday for youth, Thursday for Bible study or worship practice. And I wasn't even on the worship team. I would just show up. Like imagine you're just hanging out with Pastor Juan, just chilling here. And it's not like you're on the team. I remember they'd be like, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I just wanted to hear you guys sing. And it wasn't like our church worship team was fire either. Let me just be honest. It was like, I, I, I got saved and really discipled. I got saved in a black church in Crenshaw. Come on fire. And then I got discipled in a really small Hispanic church, less than like a hundred people, maybe like 50, 60 people in, in East LA area, Whittier, Pico Rivera, East LA area. And, um, I was there every day. I was there Thursday, Friday, Saturday to clean every day. I wanted to be there because I wanted more of God. That was the reason. And I knew I wanted to be a pastor not because I was a good preacher or because I thought I would be good at it. I really didn't know. At 12 years old, you don't know anything, let's be honest. And if you're 12 years old in the room, you don't know anything. I love you. <laughs> but you don't yet. 
and just be okay with that. But one day you will know some things. We don't know anything. I knew I wanted to be a pastor, though, because I just, I just wanted to work for Jesus. So that was like the coolest job to like, I'm just going to work for Jesus. Loved it. When I moved up here, I, w- I grew up in LA. And then when I moved up here, loved it. Found a church around the area. Almost there every day. Became an intern. I became an intern at 15 years old. 15. Can you believe that? Whoever led a 15-year-old into internship? So I became a pastor at 18. I've been a pastor. Next year will be 12 years that I've been a pastor. I know I look like I'm 15 still, but I promise it's been a while. Loved it. If it wasn't for church, I wouldn't have got discipled. If it wasn't for church, I wouldn't have found my calling. If it wasn't for church, I wouldn't have met my wife. If it wasn't for church, I wouldn't have had the family I have today. And something interesting happened when I was 17, 18, though. God was doing some real deep stuff in my heart. Like, and, and, and guys... If you kind of know me or have met me now, how many have ever been in a room when I'm preaching and I'm like, I'm intense? Anybody? And like maybe four people? Okay, that's fine. It's cool. Like I could, I could turn it on. I'm really intense. Family, you have not met intense Chris Scoes until you met 18-year-old Chris Scoes. I was intense, guys. Long hair, fasting, praying all day, preaching on high schools. I still am that intense. I've just, I've just learned to do it the right way now. Like, like I, I was intense. And what began to happen is my intensity, which was for the Lord. It was pure. It was for Jesus. I loved him. I, wanna, I, just, I just wanted, the, the, the desire of my heart was I just wanted my life to look like the Bible. Like real talk. I wanted my life to look like what the Bible was. I wanted to experience the things I read about the Bible. I, I, wanted, I wanted to encounter the God that people encountered in scripture. I wanted the real thing. I wanted, I wanted a real depth and a relationship. And I had a fire burning in my heart. I still do. It hasn't gone away. But what began to happen is my zeal and my desire and my passion began to turn into criticalness. Because what I did is I began to judge and critique the church and not just my church, any church because they weren't on the level that I was at. And so like any good young person that's a millennial, when they don't like something, what do they do? They run away. <laughs> Let's be honest. So that's what I did. I went to missions. Now I felt like God called me to missions. So I did two years of missions. I did two years in YWAM and I loved it. It was a great time. Um, God did some things in me that he could have only done there Here's the thing, though, that I realized, two, two things that happened in YWAM that I didn't expect, but that were necessary. Number one is I thought I was going to be a missionary to change the world, to preach the gospel, to, to do all this stuff. The first thing was, is God needed to get all the junk out of my heart out because I began to make ministry and this thing about me and not him. I made it more about my desires and my dreams and instead of God's dreams. So what did God need to do? He needed to take me, and I shared the story. He needed to take me from California, put me in the middle of the freezing cold in Pennsylvania and D.C., and put me in a prayer room for six hours a day. And it took like two months of that to finally get my attention because I was so stubborn and arrogant. And that's what God will do. God will sometimes allow you to go through hard things, not because he wants to break you, because he wants to get to your heart. Okay? Here's the second thing. I was running away from church because I started not liking church, because I was critical of it, because I thought I was better than it, 
I fell into this lie that I was the church. And so because I was the church, church wasn't necessary. Church didn't need to be in part of my life. Church wasn't important. And I came to the conclusion at the end of YWAM that God called me back home to a little church in Lathrop because I began to realize that church is something that although I might not have liked, that God called me to. That God called me to. I remember being in YWAM, doing all sorts of, sorts of, and guys, I'm not saying this to boast, I've done a lot of crazy stuff for Jesus. Stadium gatherings, small churches, college campuses, preached to thousands, preached to hundreds, preached to tens. Met some famous people, met some not famous people, met some people who think they're famous, but they're really not. <laughs> Come on, that's like half of the Christian world, let's just be honest. They think just because they have like 10,000 followers and some clout, never mind, random, another message for another time. Um, met some people who are really famous that are super humble and that love God and that have massive influence that are, you know, influencing millions of people. So I've, I've done those things. It doesn't matter because God had to get me through all that. And I began to realize in all that, my heart wasn't in it. I had a desire in my heart, which I believe was a dream from God to win cities for Jesus. And I began to realize that the only way God wins cities on the earth, wins families, reaches people, is through the local church. The local church is the hope for humanity. The local church is how God moves his kingdom on the earth. The local church is how God sets family up. The local church is how God restores and redeems. No matter it's, it's craziness, because it is, that's what, that's what God designed it for. And so here I come back. And I think I shocked my friends and my family when next thing you know, Pastor Eric Baca comes to me at 20 years old and says, hey, we need a youth pastor. You want to help? And little Lathrop, and I was like, sure. And I thought I was going to be here for like six months, and now here we are. I'm the guy. <laughs> People would tell me like, yeah, I knew you were going to be the guy. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. You definitely knew before me. But I bought into the lie that I was the church. And I didn't need church. I didn't want church. And why it's a lie, it's, I believe it's a lie from the enemy is because that's not in the Bible. You aren't the church by yourself. We are the church together. The church is not a building. The church is a people. But the only way you can be the church is you have to be with people. And so as I was praying about this week, why I feel like it's a sensitive conversation is because we all, have a mis we all have a preconceived idea of what church is. And I think in some ways we have bad theology of what church is. We have a the, the proper theological term is we have an improper ecclesiological understanding of the Bible. Ecclesiology is the study of church in scripture. We don't understand that. So what I want to do is just kind of bring in some points. And so I just started writing. What are some things I wish I knew about church before you know, everything happened and how God needed to turn everything upside down in my life and have to go through all the hard stuff. What are some things I wish I knew? And so I wrote like 10 things and I got it down to seven because we don't have like all day in the world. Let's just be honest. And so I got, I, I want to tell you seven things that I didn't know about church that I believe are essential for us to know, to understand the importance of it, to understand the why behind it. Because I think that's really important. You need to understand why you show up. You need to understand why your friend invited you. You need to understand why this thing matters to God. You, need to, you just need to understand. Because if we don't, then we're not really functioning at the capacity we're called to function. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Number one, let's see if we can get through all seven. We did it in first service, barely. So let's see if we can do it. Number one, the church is God's idea. 
want that to sink in. I think you might know that, but if you don't or you've never heard it, it's really important. Now, there's been things that man has done that are not God's idea, but the church is God's idea. It wasn't a bunch of people one day that said, this is what we're going to do. Jesus uses the word church for the first time in Matthew 16. It's an old term that he changes. In Matthew 16, he tells Peter, you are now called Peter. He changes his name. And he says, and upon this rock, he's not talking about Peter. He's talking about the revelation of Jesus, which is that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Upon the reality of God, I will build my church. Jesus had an idea in his heart, a dream in his heart, that how we are going to reach humanity, how the story of the gospel, which is the redemption of humanity and the salvation for all, is going to be funneled, discipled, and contextualized in nations across the earth until Jesus returns through this concept that I call the church. It's God's idea. I want you to understand, it's God's idea. And if it's God's idea, then it's important. Because whatever God cares to think about and put into play, it has to be important to us. Number one, the church is God's idea. So for those that are critical of the church or have been hurt of the church or burnt from church, the, 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 the statement or the, or the tension could be, well, it's just a bunch of man anyways. And yes, maybe there's some things that I could said are man-made, the problem with that logic, though, is just because people have tainted it doesn't mean it's not from God. People can take the Bible and taint it all day long. Doesn't mean it's not from God. People can taint marriage all day long. Doesn't mean it's not from God. People can taint all sorts of things. People can twist and turn. Uh, I love this analogy. You know, the devil doesn't create. You know, only God creates. So the only way the devil makes things, it's almost like Legos. He can't create the Legos, but he can build something out of them. In the same manner, absolutely man and satanic strategy has diluted and misinterpreted and has even represented the church in a very bad way. But that doesn't mean it's still not from God. And so a core conviction has to be that the reason why we are all in on this church idea is because it's God's idea. I love what John Wesley says. He says, the church is God's holy experiment on earth to, be to bring redemption to humanity. I love that. Can I tell you something, family? I, I am so grateful for our team, for our staff here, because they can go make money anywhere else. They're that gifted. They make way more money. No one's getting rich here. No one's getting famous. But we... we, we we serve week in and week out, and we give our lives to this thing. And, and don't get me wrong, we, we, we pay them. We, they, they're taken care of. They're not like, don't worry, they're not poor. Like, you know what I'm saying? But the potential, right? I was just talking to Pastor Matt about this. Even that God called us to Lathrop. Pastor Matt was like, dude, if we were like in another city, we would be like two, three times as big. Just how many people are in Lathrop versus other cities. But God called us here. We've all laid our lives down because we are sold on the idea that church is how God moves and functions on the earth. The gathering of the believers. Does that, when I say church, I'm not talking about the building. Does that make sense? When I'm talking about church, when people gather together, God's in the midst, the Holy Spirit rests, encounter breaks through, discipleship happens, transformation takes place. It can happen in a parking lot, it can happen in a school, it can happen in a building, it can happen, it can happen wherever. 
But we got to come together and God's got to move and lives begin to get healed in Jesus' name. God's idea. To the families every week who serve, thank you. Thank you for not getting paid and working probably even somewhat harder than what you work in your job. Right? Come on. Thank you to the people who give and serve the members, the partners here who put a green shirt on. You know how hard it is to put a green shirt on for people that don't even like you? Come on. Come on. You, you know, some of you, the first time you came to Thrive, you were all salty because I don't know what happened at your house before you came. And a green shirt was just trying to open the door for you and say hi. And you were all mean to them. Kids workers, thank God for Thrive Kids team. You don't even like your kids. Why some of you come for three services. It's not to hear me, it's to drop off your kids. I, I see Pastor Dylan in the back, right, Pastor Dylan? Come on now. Thrive kids, heroes. Why? It's not because we owe anyone anything. No. If, if, if it's for other, if it's for any other reason other than this, then we have an ulterior motive. We do this because God wants us to do it because it was God's idea. It's a calling. It's a calling. Number two, is scripture is written to us as a people. So I want to say something that, that I'm going to make. I hope this makes sense. Your salvation is personal. Okay? Your salvation is personal. It's between you and Jesus. You do not need anyone else other than Jesus for you to be saved. Okay? Real talk. That's the difference between, the, one of the major differences between us and, and the theology of Catholicism. You don't need a priest. You don't need sacraments. You don't need works. All you need is Jesus, and he can rescue you from anywhere you're at. Okay. Thank God. However, your salvation is personal, but your calling is corporate. I'm not questioning your salvation when people aren't a part of a place. I'm questioning your discipleship. I'm questioning your commitment as a Christ follower, not your commitment in your salvation. I can't question your salvation, but I can question if you actually are a Jesus follower. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say that it's just you and God in your walk with, the, with discipleship. Jesus always writes in the context to his people, not a person, okay? And even when he does write to a person, almost all the time, when he writes to a person, it's a leader who's over people, right? So he writes the first Timothy, Timothy 1, Timothy 2. Timothy is over the church. Revelation, he writes to the churches that John is over, the seven churches in Asia. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, of Philippi, of Corinth, of wherever, right? Thessalonica, right? Paul, write, write, Luke writes the book of Acts about the people of God, right? The gospels is written by disciples, not just a disciple. And it's written in the context of God's people who follow him, not just an individual who follows him. The prophets, right? Malachi, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, go down the list. They are written to the nation of Israel, not just one particular person, right? The history of Israel is written to the history of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is a foreshadow of the New Testament church. The Pentateuch, which is the first five
five books of the Bible. I could just keep going on and on and on. Why does this matter? Because when you take the idea that scripture is only individualized and you begin to say that from that place, it's only about me and not about us, you are, un, you are her, her, I don't want to say heretically, but I'm just going to go there. You are heretically misinterpreting scripture that the original design of the context of scripture is not just about you, but it's about us together. It's about us together. Don't get me wrong. I love when the Bible speaks to me. I'm a firm believer that I'm not going to preach on this stage unless the Bible speaks to me. I'm not giving you something that God hasn't spoken to me first. I want you to know that. But I would be remiss to believe that the Bible is just about me. That's crazy. That's not true. It's about us together. And so when we read scripture, and if it's in the context of us, then isn't it important? that we're together and the way God defines his people being together is church. Does that make sense? Don't get me wrong. Again, there's scriptures, obviously you could take them for your heart and individual, but, but as a whole, God's writes the Bible for us as a people, which leads me to number three. It's not about attendance. It's about belonging. So here's where pastors who've said this, I think they're crazy, where they're like, if you don't come to church every week, you're not saved. That's ridiculous. Listen, it's cool if you go camping. I'm fine. You want to go camping? Cool. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm actually, I think you could, I, I think there's some healthy things. You can do way more with your family sometimes camping a weekend than you could maybe, I don't know, doing a religious activity. Like there's, there's some depth there. Okay. Here's, here's my issue. Here's, here's my issue, is if you go camping every week, <laughs> camping, right? Where do you belong? Because you're called to belong. You're not called to just attend. God is not in heaven checking the boxes of attendance. This isn't school. But what he requires of your heart and your life is belonging. Now, I would pray that you feel God called you to belong here. If you don't feel like you're called to belong here, we will help you find somewhere else. We believe that. Because it's not about being just part of this place. If you, if you go somewhere else, it's fine. We're not in gangs, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I'm going to get jumped out. It's hood church stuff. Do you belong somewhere? Here's how I define belong. Can you reach out to someone when you're in trouble? When you're in trouble? Can someone reach out to you when they're in trouble? Does it actually matter to you when you miss? It's okay that you miss, but does it matter? Do you want to be part? Like, there should be something in your heart that's like, man, I belong to this family. Because you're called to belong to a spiritual family. Because our discipleship is corporate. We just talked, we just laid that foundation. And I would challenge you that if you don't belong anywhere, if you don't belong anywhere, if people, and it is not about a place, it's not about people, connection, relationship. If you don't belong anywhere, then maybe that's the reason why you're stuck. Because you haven't allowed people in your life. Because you keep living your life in your previous hurt that is caging you from the freedom of what God wants in your life. 
And just because someone hurt you in church before doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to church now. Doesn't matter. You have to find a place of belonging. I would pray that Thrive would be a place where you would belong and you would get healed here. I would pray that this would be a place where you would know you could be safe and you could belong. But it's about belonging. It's about being part of something bigger than yourself. It's, it's deeper than just attendance. We care less about attendance. It's nice that we have people in the room. It's nice that we're growing. We're reaching people. But I don't, I'm not trying, this, this is the beautiful thing about church. It's not a crusade where we just have people raise their hand and someone gets saved. No, not only do they get to get saved, this is why it's God's model. The church is God's model of redemption for humanity is that when that person raises their hand or accepts Jesus and gets saved, they get to belong to a family that's gonna walk them through. They get to join a small group that's going to teach them the word. They get to go to growth track, and now they get to serve on a team, and their gifts begin to come alive. They, get, they begin to go to our leadership collective and our intern program, and, and they begin to say yes to the calling of God on their life. And then we begin to expand campuses and cities and cities. Why? Because what we're doing is we're pushing back the darkness, and we're reaching people for Jesus. And we're not just reaching them with a, with a decision. We're reaching them with a, with a family that they could belong to. If you don't belong anywhere, then I would say that you're not a disciple. I would question your discipleship. Not question your salvation. I will question your discipleship. I'll have that conversation all day. I would believe that you are not following Jesus wholeheartedly if you are, do not belong to a church. Now question your salvation. You'll still go to heaven. Like, guys, I'm not mad. If you make it to heaven and, like, you're next to me, cool. <laughs> I'll be like, cool, they made it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be happy. But I question your discipleship. I, I question your devotion to God. You have, because you have properly misinterpreted scripture for your own liking based on your own hurt and your own judgments. Yeah. Guys, this isn't even an option in China, like, or, 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 or Africa or Asia. Like, like China, Asia, Africa, the Middle East. You don't even get to choose what church you're a part of. Right? That's, that's some of the criticalness too. Like, well, I just don't like the Western church. You wouldn't even be able to make it in the Eastern church. You would, you would, they would have excommunicated you. You would not be about it. Those are just for all the radicals in the room. For those who are like, man, I just don't like the Western church because I just don't like organized religion. This isn't about organized religion. This is about family. And it doesn't matter that you don't like it. God said. There's plenty of things that God tells us that we don't like. Get over it. Get over it. If we're gonna talk about following Jesus, pick up your cross. And the truth is, is if Jesus needed help picking up his cross, so do you. The Bible says Jesus on the way to Calvary, a man named Josephus helped him. If that man, the son of God, needed help picking up his cross, what makes you think you don't need help picking up your cross? Where do you belong? And the cool thing about Western churches, churches like 31 flavors out here in California. Sad, but it is, right? It's cool, I'm good, and we're all on the same team. Like, I think it's funny when people church hop and it's act, we, they act like us pastors don't talk to each other. We know. I'm just not tripping on it because, hey, wherever, you do you, boo-boo. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever you can follow Jesus. But the point is, are you following Jesus? Are you having people in your life that are coming along you to follow Jesus? Are you belonging? Number four, you're called to build three houses. Okay? This helped me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a radical, so I, I'm an extremist. I tend to lean into one thing and I forget about the other things and that's not healthy. 
You're called to build three houses. You're called to build the house of your heart, the house of your family, and the house of your church. Because you belong somewhere, right? We just established that, the necessity of belonging. The necessity of belonging is necessary for the discipleship process. So then, your individual heart with God needs to be built. That's on you. Your family needs to be built around God. That's also on you to a degree. And then your church needs to be built on you. Like your church is built on Jesus, but your church needs to be, you need to be a part of it. It's on you to be a part of the building of the house. Money, time, all of it. Gifts, sacrifice, because you can't build something with, you can't build something worthwhile if you're not willing to sacrifice for it. And listen, I've met pastors who are great at building their heart and great at building their church, but terrible about building their family. What's the use of reaching thousands if your son and daughter don't know Jesus and don't know you? Waste of time. I've also met people who they are so focused on building their family, but they refuse to build the church because they think they're gonna lose their family and they're holding so tight on it that their family becomes the idol in their life that is disconnecting them from the calling of God. I've met people that are so focused on self-help, they don't care about anyone else and those are just selfish, prideful, arrogant people. You're called to build three houses. This is what healthy building and discipleship looks like. And it's hard. Like, I'm not gonna say it's easy, it's hard, but it's good. And watch, watch when you focus on the three. And, and listen, guys, you're not gonna have full balance. It's, it's not gonna happen, but an understanding that that's what it makes sense. Like, I'm just trying to give language to someone's heart right now that's like, man, I gotta do this with my family, but I'm called to do this with church, and I gotta do this with my real family, and then, but yet my heart's still like, how do I do all three? It's okay, that's what grace is for. That's why the Lord says, you don't build the house without me. You built the house with me. Yeah. I want to emphasize on the necessity of building God's house if you belong there. If you don't belong there, you're off the hook. But then if you don't belong there, I would, I would question your discipleship. I would question your commitment to God. So belong to a house. But then once you're called to a house, build the house. No one likes the guy who goes to Christmas with no food or gifts in his hand. <laughs> Who likes that person? Who likes that cousin that goes to Thanksgiving and they just eat and they don't clean up and they don't do anything and they leave? Don't be that person. Don't be that person here. Don't be that person at that church I'm gonna send you to because I'm gonna send you if you don't wanna be here and don't make us look bad. <laughs> don't be that person. Come on. And maybe the reason... I'm, Maybe the reason why our, 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 our generation, maybe the reason why millennials and Gen Z think that God is optional is because the previous generation said that church was optional. Maybe. Maybe we have completely correlated our relationship with God with the building, which is unhealthy, but because we completely went the other extreme, because we've been hurt or broken or because things have went down, we have told a generation that they don't need God and they don't need family and they don't need church. And next thing you know, they're living in the wilderness in sin because we never, we never gave them permission to experience the God that we encountered. You know what I love about our youth nights is that Pastor Matt will preach and they do altar calls and, and, and God's moving. There's like snot boogers on the ground and, and kids are on the floor weeping. I love that. Give me that over Xboxes all day long. I want your middle schooler, I want your middle schooler to encounter God, not to make themselves feel better about whatever puberty moment they're going through. 
And why I say that is because they can only experience, let's be real, are they experiencing that in your house? If they are, cool. But even greater than if they're experiencing that in your house, get them into this house so others can experience it as well. Because it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. I love what our youth, young. I love what our kids do. I, I, love, I love this place because this place is creating an atmosphere where people can experience Jesus. I want to build a place like that. I want to build a place where people can find spiritual family. I want to build a place where people can be redeemed and restored and healed. And listen, that is not going to happen because I just hope it happens. I have to put my money where my mouth is, my time, my energy, my resources to build a place for God to move in. Right? First Peter says, spiritual house. Holy priesthood sacrifices unto God. The new priesthood functions in that capacity. That's what Peter says. Number five. Let's see if we're going to make it. Number five. Here we go. Ooh, it is a good one. Is it up there? Oh, man. You can't love God and hate the church. Can't. Because you can't hate something that God loves. can't do it. So not only would I question your discipleship, but if someone came up to me and said, I just hate church, I'd be like, man, you must not love Jesus. That's heavy, but it's real. And the reason that you could say that is because the Bible is very clear that we're supposed to love what God loves and hate what God hates. God loves this. You know he's coming back for a church, not you. Did you know that? He's not coming back for you. Like that's, he is, but he isn't. You know what I'm saying? He's coming back for you as a whole. Like he's coming back for the church. He's coming back for the bride. That's what it says in Revelation. He's coming back for his people. And I get it. Like I, I'm not saying you can't be critical. Criticalness gets us better Right? Like, like it's okay to be, it's okay to call out things that are wrong. That, that, that's fine too. Like, let's be honest. We live in an age where man is broken and they do dumb things. And if we've learned anything during this last pandemic season is that leaders screw up. We're, we, we talk about this all the time. This isn't foreign to us here in this house. We talk about poor leadership. But just because there's poor leadership doesn't mean you have permission to hate God's idea and hate what God loves. You can't hate it. And, and, and here's what I would, if, if, if this is what hate looks like to me, criticalness, judgmentalism, and unforgiveness. If you're like, oh, I don't hate it, but I, I don't want to go, and I, I can't forgive, and I just question everything they do, and I just don't like it, I'd be like, that's not hatred? You, bro, like, that sounds like you're, you have a despising heart towards something that God so desperately loves. If you're like, man, you know, we need to make things better and, and, and this could be good uh, because I'm in it and I'm a part of it, right? There's no, like, I know sometimes it's offensive, but it's okay to tell grandma her mashed potatoes were, were, were kind of rough, you know? <laughs> but it's the way you do it. Listen, I could tell my grandma her mashed potatoes are rough because she's my grandma. But if I invite someone to Thanksgiving and she says, my grandma's mashed potatoes are rough, she ain't getting invited back. I have way too many people who, have, who are loud critics of a place they don't belong to. 
And just because you sit in that seat doesn't mean you belong. You belong with your life, not your attendance. You belong with your, your, your sacri- you, you belong with your heart, not just your butt in the chair. And to the critics who would say that they hate church, I would tell them, that's sad. Because although church is one of the messiest places in the world, it's one of the most beautiful places. I blame this place. I blame, I blame Thrive. I do. Because I, I say this from experience. I hated church. Hated the concept about it. I hated the idea about it. Didn't want anything to do with it. I stand on this stage as someone who now loves it. Not because I'm called to lead it. God had to work that in me before he called me here. Because there's no way he would have elevated me if I still had the same heart. You don't get to critique the church like Paul unless you love the church like Paul. Right? We think, we think we're going to come in with, with a prophetic edge and critique the church, but you don't even love the church. You're not even in it. Not, not even in a particular place, just as a whole. And I just want God to make us wholehearted. Number six, because church is not all about you. Maybe a little bit in the beginning. Can I tell you here at Thrive, we don't do church for you. We do church for him. I could care less about church for you as much more as I care for a church for him. What does it matter if we have thousands of people in the chair, but Holy Spirit doesn't want to show up? What does that matter? Might as well just be a Facebook group. Might as well just hang out. Might as well be the YMCA and people just chilling. Love what Pastor John Tyson says. He says, in this day and age, you could be evangelically successful, but still lack kingdom impact. I refuse to be an evangelical success. I refuse to be an evangelical success story where I'm successful to the eyes of people in the church world, but yet to the kingdom, there's no real transformation and impact because the Holy Spirit's not in the room. What would happen if our mentality shifted where it's not what I want it to be like, but it's what God wants it to be like. I'm coming to church to learn about Jesus. I'm coming to church to experience Jesus. I'm coming to church to glorify Jesus. I'm coming to church to make it about Jesus. I'm coming to church to center my life around Jesus. I'm coming to church because my family needs to encounter Jesus. I'm coming to church because someone else needs me in the room, what I've experienced, so they can encounter Jesus. What if church became less about the songs we like, the style we liked, the things we wanted, and more about, it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. And don't get me wrong, God's kind. He's good. He is. He still meets you where you're at. He still shows up. I, I, I've had so many Sundays where even this year, God's just encountering me in the corner before I preach. It has nothing to do with the message. I'm just getting wrecked. Why? because he's still going to make sure I'm okay. He loves me. But I want to just change our mentality that it's not about us, if that makes sense. Like, like, the, like the humanistic selfishness. Does that, does that make sense? Of course we're going to take care of our people. Of course we're going to make sure we're good. Of course we're going to, we're family, right, in that context. But if we are always coming to church based on what we want, what we desire and what we should get and what we deserve and how we think it should end. I'm telling you, I think most people leave churches because they aren't in charge. And the truth is, is they're not in charge because God doesn't want them in charge, straight up. Because if God wanted them in charge, he would have elevated them. 
because God doesn't promote people, he elevates people. God raises and strikes down. That's how it works in the Bible, through leadership, right? That's why the Pharisees were all mad when Jesus chose a bunch of fishermen instead of them because God knew their heart and he knew that a bunch of fishermen were gonna follow him wholeheartedly and not these religious people who were broken on the inside. He describes them as whitewashed tombs, meaning they look good on the outside, but they're dead in their soul. Because they knew, he knew, Jesus knew, it's not gonna be about them. They're gonna follow me wholeheartedly. I just wanna believe that God would, des- would, would, would design this place to not be a place of selfishness, but be a place for him. I think he's already doing it, but I, I want you to know that. Watch what happens in your life when that shifts. And the last one, connected to number five a little bit, is Jesus was hurt by the church too. So some of you in the room are saying, well, Pastor Chris, all six of those points were good, but that doesn't matter because you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know what that person person lied to me. You don't know how that person hurt me. That pastor who hurt my family, who stole money from us, who cheated on his wife, who did this with this family member. Guys, the list can go on of the sins of leadership. And it's real. And I'm so sorry you went through that. From one pastor... I can't, I, can't, I can't solve that. Only Jesus can. But I want you to know I'm sorry for what you went through. But I want you to know that no one was hurt more by the church than Jesus. It was the religious leaders who killed him in his day. And yet Jesus still died for them too. See, it's very easy for us to believe that Jesus dies for the broken and the hurting, the sinner. But he dies also for the saints that's religious as well. He dies for that person who hurt him. He didn't just die for the prostitute. He died for the Pharisee as well. And if Jesus still loves the church, what gives you permission to not love it? He was hurt by the church more than any of us. I know that for a fact. How many churches, I wonder, in America where Jesus wants to be in the room, but he's not let in? But yet every week he still wants to be there. As some of us, if it rains, we're like, oh, we're staying home. Oh, this happened, this happened. My kid lost in his soccer game yesterday. I'm not going to church. Whatever. I don't know the dumbest reasons. Or because, oh, I went through this hurt because this pastor did that. And I get it. It was real. But listen, your hurt is not an excuse It's not an excuse to do what God called you to do. I know that's hard to say, but it's true. My hurt is not an excuse to not let God begin to still heal me and begin to do in me what he needs to do in me. happening right now because we're talking about it because for the first time ever you might have actually heard someone acknowledge that church hurts real I want you to know if you're that person there's grace for you there's healing for you 
those watching online, there's healing for you. But I don't want to let the pain of my past dictate the calling of my future. I don't. And if Jesus can do it, then I can do it too. If they hurt him, they're going to, it's okay if they hurt me. It's, 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 it's going to be okay. It wasn't okay that they did it, but it's going to be okay. God's going to redeem it all. You watch him do it. Watch him do it. And so for me, this message, I wanted it to, I pray that it would grip your heart to fall in love with the church again. Doesn't matter what church, I'm good. I really am. I mean, don't let me know today, like text me Tuesday or something, but. God's called us to build this house, family. I think everyone in here is here because you're here for a reason. We're called to build this house. From your pastor, from, from, I feel like there's a word from Jesus. Let's build the house wholeheartedly. Let's build the house wholeheartedly. Let's not build the house with interior motives. Let's not build the house with under false doctrine. Let's not build the house under hurt and pain. Let's not build the house out of insecurity. Let's not build the house out of religious necessity. Let's build the house out of wholeheartedness, a genuine love and a passion for what God has called us to in this season. Do me a favor, stand your feet. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.